Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. Welcome back to the good stuff. It's the Laugh Podcast. Uh, we've been gone for a while, but we're back now in full force. Over there is one of the co-hosts, Mr. Ryan Bull. How are you today, sir? Doing well. Howdy. And uh, I'm the other co-host, Richard Lusk, and we have a special guest host with us today, Mr. Scott Lasky. How are you, sir? Fantastic. I'm very glad to be here. I'm excited to talk about these movies. I know that uh, we've been waiting to do this for a while. Our schedules didn't match up. It's part of the reason why we're coming out late. But uh, I also wanted to see a bunch of movies here at the end of the year. And, you know, movies that were released last year, but we weren't able to see until January. Uh, see if any of them made my list, and I think one of them did. But before we get into that, let's sort of talk about how you uh, came up with your lists. Oh, wait a minute. Did I even mention? This is the Top Ten show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> top I don't 10. think I even mentioned that. You did top not. Top Ten, Episode 204. Episode 204, and it's the Top Ten ep- uh, movies 10 through 6. We're going to do our Top 5 next uh, week or next show. And, uh, oh, we're not doing all 10 today? Well, we're, we're ready to do all 10, but we might want to break it up for the listeners. Because sometimes... Oh, Bull's you'll a, post them separately. Yeah, Bull, Bull's a lot to handle sometimes. You, you don't <laughs> yeah, wanna, yeah, yeah, I'm the problem. <laughs> you got to get them in small doses. Well, when you fit in all your digressions, yeah, they yeah. need a break. Yeah, so we, we actually... Be a five-hour epic conversation. <laughs> uh, I had a lot of uh, fun putting together my list, but I'm, I'm wondering how you went about putting together your lists, Mr. Lasky? Well, I downloaded the list of all 336 eligible films and uh, highlighted the ones that I had actually seen, because I'm not going to talk about movies I haven't seen. And then... um, Oh, really? I have a few on my top ten movies I haven't haven't seen. seen? (laughs) No, of course not. (laughs) Well, I think last year when I did this, I had a movie or two that I hadn't actually seen, but I knew I was going to like, or I was pretty sure I was going to like. I think I did that last year. Even though last year I only did one through five, I didn't get to do six through ten because oh. we had snow. Oh, I missed that. But um, anyway, and then once I got my list of the ones that I actually seen, I put them in order one through thirty-seven mm. and got to my top ten. It was a, kind of a challenge, and I didn't necessarily choose movies that I thought were going to win awards. I literally went on the movies that I like the most for a variety of different reasons. Any- movies that I enjoyed for. It's hard to pin down any one reason because there, there are a couple movies on here that even surprised me. I didn't know that they were going to be on my top ten until I did it. Did you have to struggle to decide ordering? And- yeah. Oh, very much. Very much. There were, you know, like numbers 11, 12, and 13, you know, that didn't make the top ten were movies I probably would have thought would have been on my top ten mm-hmm. before I made the list. So, yeah, it's hard when you have to choose ten. Well, I have about 50 movies on my top 10 movies of all time <laughs> then my my list is pretty oh, broad movies of all time that yeah. would be impossible for me it changes all the time what about but we're you? just talking about for this yeah. year yeah. calendar year. yeah but sometimes like you have that movie that's in the eighth seat and you're like it's a good movie but you don't want to go back and revisit it but something that's in 25th place you could see yourself watching that movie again and again mm, yeah good point so that's actually why my number one became my number one because it's a movie i've already seen about eight times Ooh. Interesting. I can't, and I probably would watch it again tonight if it was on. Oh, wow. So, so it's something from earlier That's in the year. Something part from earlier the in the year, and it's why, also... Part of the reason why it made my top ten. Unless you went and bought it. And it's not a movie... Well, you'll see. 
All right. It's not a movie I would have ever guessed would have been my number one pick. Not I am thoroughly years. intrigued now. What about you, Mr. Bull? How did you put together your list? Uh, just pulled out movies that I like. For, I mean, I keep a list uh, throughout the year of everything that I've seen. So I just went through and pulled out movies I liked. And then uh, the order that I'm going to give them out today is not going to be the order I'll put these movies in tomorrow. <laughs> is Is there I mean, a clear number one? Uh, yeah, I think one, one and two are pretty solid, but after that I could go all over the place and there are movies that didn't make the list that I could talk about and really enjoyed and I feel bad sometimes leaving them off. Uh, any, maybe we could include for each of us one movie that didn't make our 10. That's like 11 or 12 or something that surprised us. Oh that yeah. We thought was going to be in our top 10. Just one. Oh, it, well at the end I could run down a lot because I did well, see a I'm lot of movies maybe here. We limit it to one. <laughs> well, we'll see. An eight hour epic. <laughs> no, I won't tell us that long, but I saw ears to bleed. I saw about four movies in January that made my top 20. And then, uh, one of them actually made my top 10 that I've seen recently. The rest of them were from earlier in the year. Most of them were from earlier in the year. They, uh, I didn't even know one of them I thought came out last year, but I was able to see it. And, uh, no, it's not the one I think that you're thinking of because that actually might be on your list, but I left it off, but you might've forgotten about it. So you're over there feverishly working on your list right now. I see. <sighs> so maybe there's also yeah. rare that we have to talk about. Uh, I found when I put together my list that, um, Number 10 is sort of a cheat in a way for me, but there, there were some that I really wanted to get on there that I'd like to talk about that I think some of you guys might have seen. Uh, and then I've had this argument with my students about, my, my film students, about whether or not something can be really enjoyable but not be that entertaining. And like if there's like an intellectual element to some of these. A lot of these films are really dour and plotting and uh ponderous and philosophical and i really dig them but i i don't know how many people i could recommend them to because they're they're so slow and sort of drawn out and then even the ones that are sort of rompy and entertaining have philosophical elements to them and they ask questions and that's sort of thematically how i was able to put together my list my top movie is very personal so um it was easy for me to choose my top movie there were some other there there were some like combinations I wanted to, to choose throughout the list I wanted to talk about in order, but uh, as I went through the list I, I saw a lot of common themes like um, the nature of mankind's experience with the supernatural. Even though supernatural, I'm using that that term loosely, sort of like that that where where they stand against things that they can't understand or that they can't deal with. So there's there's religious elements that run through a lot of my movies and man versus nature. You saw some common themes in yours, Mr. Lasky. Oh, absolutely. But real quickly, I wanted to go back to what you said about a movie being incredibly enjoyable, but not entertaining. Yeah. I can easily yeah. think of some movies that I've seen that I absolutely loved while I was watching them, but I would never ever want to sit through again. Yeah. Like the experience of sitting through the movie was not, I, I, I can't use the word enjoyable, but it's a movie I absolutely love, but I wouldn't want to see it again. Well, I wouldn't want to go through that experience. And but that's I'm in glad your top I 10? saw it. No, I'm just saying in my history as a moviegoer, I don't think of anything this year. This, this has been an ongoing, not argument, but conversation with my film students about, because I, I usually I'll come in at the end of the, or at the beginning of the week and I'll say, oh, I saw this movie over the weekend. And it's not that any of you would like it. <laughs> 
But then when I started explaining it to him, I think you had the same experience with Cal- Calgary or Calgary. Calgary yeah. Oh, yeah, that's ago. a good example. I really, really enjoyed that movie, but I wouldn't want to watch it again. I'd love to watch these movies again in more in detail, but I don't think I could recommend them to anybody because I don't know how entertaining they are. So, anyway, uh, yeah, common themes. Well, one thing that quickly stood out to me that I think is um, touched on with every single movie is the simple beauty of the power of kindness. Ooh. That, how, that doesn't how even... easily kindness <laughs> That's on my list. <laughs> can affect change. So it was something I noticed. But there are other things that I noticed, like the um, how one person can make a difference. Um, I have a lot of historical movies or that were based on fact. Um, I think half of my movies were true stories. Oh, okay. And that was not a conscious choice. Again, these were things I noticed after I'd made my top ten, and I started writing notes about them. I noticed, wow, I have a lot of true stories here, and that was not something I would have. I didn't make them. I didn't choose them because they were true stories. Any, any, they were my favorites, and the true story part of it was somewhat incidental. Any themes show up with you there? Any commonalities there, Mister Bull? Nothing, really, <laughs> nothing. It's a hodgepodge if ever. There All right, well, what's your number ten there? Number then? ten, yeah, number uh, 10. is fences. Oh, all with right. a de- directed by Denzel Washington, starring Denzel Washington, and also Viola Davis. Uh, big fan of the play when I read it in college, so I was really eager to see this. I don't think the story translates fantastically to film. It- it's definitely a play. It definitely deserves to be on a stage. There- there's something about these characters emoting their souls to you that I think you need the intimacy of a theater. Uh, to make it work a little bit better. Like, I don't think the ending quite nails it in this film, but overall, I really enjoyed being able to watch um, a performance of Fences because I've only read the play. So, um, you know, we're all very happy with it. I think Denzel Washington is able to play Denzel Washington, but he doesn't come off as charismatic. He's just a jerk. Training day. But in Training Day, you kind of like him still. Yeah, he's the cult of personality there. Yeah, but he's able to do... All of that training day sort of stuff, but he's not likable at all. But I mean, that's the character he's playing. So that movie Flight, he wasn't very likable in Flight. Yeah, but, but I he, haven't seen. He Fences wasn't yet. as big and brass, mm-hmm. brash. I actually have so. much more respect for a famous actor who has become a personality who isn't afraid to be unlikable. Mm-hmm. I think there are some actors who can't do it. They have to always be likable. Mm-hmm. They have to always play a likable character. So. Yeah, I agree. I, I I like that he was willing to go there. That that's not an easy part to play. Not just the fact that it was unlikable, but that he spoke nonstop. It seemed he had more dialogue than any other character, and probably I don't know at least half of the play is what he's saying. His character is saying. Mm-hmm. I know that he got a screenwriting credit for it, uh, along with August Wilson. Did they make changes? Are you aware of changes they made to the movie? I didn't notice anything, but From it's the, been 15 years since I read the play. Right. Yeah, I haven't read the play in a very long time so. either, but I know that August Wilson knew, as any playwright knows, you have to adapt to the screen. And I think when, probably when Denzel started actually filming it, he, um, or I guess they worked on a screenplay together before August Wilson passed, because he's yeah. dead now. But I know his widow's come out and said she's in favor of the film and the adaptation. So. Well, it's interesting you're talking about intimacy. There's a level of intimacy you can get in movies that you can't get on stage with mm-hmm. close-ups and stuff. So I'm wondering how much that mattered in the film. 
I haven't seen it, so. The film tries to not make you feel like you're watching a play. A lot of times just because a play is on a stage and the audience doesn't move, your perspective doesn't change and the blocking, the way scenes are laid out, you don't need a whole lot of camera work when you go and film them for a movie. And then it's, you know, very clear that this was a play. Uh, the producers very much felt like, you know, they just took the play and put a camera up there and record the whole thing. Well, I know with August Osage County, it felt very flat. They had to, they did a lot of scenes outside in fields and, and next to fences and stuff like that so that they could uh, have more of a cine- cinematic experience. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't know if they did anything like that with fences. So. Oh, I don't know the play well enough. So, no. so well, right. uh, that's my number 10. Lasky, what's your 10? Um, it's a small movie that probably a lot of people have not heard about um, called Hello, My Name is Doris. Um, I oh, didn't. Yeah. So this is one of the few movies I didn't see in the theater. Um because it was never playing in a theater where I could see it, so I saw it on a plane. Um, I absolutely loved it. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, it's a great character study um, uh, about uh, an older woman. Um, the main character, Doris, is um, at least 60-something, probably 70-something. I know Sally Field herself is at least 70-something, but I'm not positive how old the character was. But she's kind of a weirdo, quirky kind of older woman and got become a bit eccentric. And so she's kind of a an outsider. She's um, Most people think she's just strange and don't interact with her and avoid her. So uh, a lot of the movie had to do with alienation and, and loneliness. And she gets develops a crush on um, a, very, a much younger man in his 20s, played by Max Greenfield from um, the TV show... Girl, something girl. Oh, wait a minute. The girls thing with uh, on HBO? With no, 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 no. Okay. It was on oh, just a network show. That, okay. I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, this movie was early in the year when it mm-hmm. came out. Like, yeah, which is how I saw it on the plane. I think uh-huh. it came out last January or February, something like that. Um, also talks about how appearances can be deceiving, of course. Um, I thought it the filmmaker did a great job of kind of exploring interior monologue and daydreaming. We kind of see frequently, we kind of shift into her point of view and see things as she wants them to be instead of how they actually are. So there's kind of a play with, um, is what's happening actually happening or is this as part of one of her daydreams? You don't always know until maybe later on the movie that, Oh, that did actually happen or no, that actually was something she fantasized about. It didn't really happen. So it kind of, narratively, it kind of keeps you on your toes because it kind of uses that idea of the unreliable narrator in a film, which I don't see that often, I don't think. I'm glad you brought that movie up because I remember at the time wanting to see it and I, I'd completely forgotten about it. It's fallen off of my uh, off of my radar. Hello, well, my name is Doris. Yes, and I had actually forgotten about it until I was on the plane. I was like, oh my God, there it is. You yeah, know, it was it, on my radar, but I just hadn't been able to find it anywhere, and it wasn't on Netflix yet or whatever. I'm always looking for movies that Tony and I can watch together, and she, I think she'd get a kick of it. It's like what happens to the manic pixie dream girl when she gets older. She becomes old, <laughs> right? All right, here's my pick, Mr. Oh, wait, I wasn't done. Oh, I'm sorry. Jeez, um, I want to comment no on... wonder you only want to talk about one movie. I'm sorry, later. I'm sorry, I'll be quick. Um, <laughs> of course, I want to comment on the performances by Max Greenfield and Sally Field, both um, excellent performances in Sally Field should have been nominated, but this was the f- first time that I wrote down 
um, the simple beauty of the effects of kindness that Max Greenfield um, could have easily, his character could have easily blown her off or belittled her when he realizes that she has a crush on him and he doesn't. He is very respectful and kind. So, so there's a, well, I don't want you to spoil anything, but it, it's a happy resolution. All right, Actually, don't the say, ending uh, is somewhat ambiguous. Say. All right, that's good. I'll, I'll just say that. that that's good. It, I shouldn't the, have asked. The ending is ambiguous, but it, it's, I think it's a fairly honest portrayal of how, you know, a relationship between a 20-year-old and a 70-year-old woman might go. So do this as a double feature with Harold and Maud? Yes, <laughs> but Harold and Maud is much, well, yeah, it would be, it would be an interesting contrast, I think. All right. All right. All right, can I do my number 10 then? Cause this I don't is know. A, what do you think, Ryan? I think we should just skip to my number nine and not even get <laughs> well, your Actually, list. It might, this is going to be somewhere on your list, I think. Uh, this is just my guess. but And there's a reason I put it here at number ten. It's because ten is in the title. Ten oh. Cloverfield Lane. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, psychological uh, science fiction thriller from two, uh, Dan Trachtenberg, who's a fellow podcaster. You may remember him. Uh, this is screenwritten by Damien Chazelle. Who is up for? Oh, interesting! I yeah, didn't know that directing award and uh, best picture for some other movies. He won, uh, or he was nominated at least for Whiplash a few years ago, and I think that's where a lot of the good dialogue comes from. Originally, it was written by Josh Campbell and Matthew Stuckin, who get who get a uh, story credit for it. But then they called in Chazelle, and he came up with uh, some pretty good uh, dialogue between two or three characters in what I have termed now a pocket drama, which is a drama that takes place in one small location. I can't find any legitimacy to that, to that title for that site, that sort of thing. But I find that there's a in a, theater. They call it a kitchen sink drama. It all right. Takes place in the kitchen. Lus calls it a pocket drama. I don't know where I came up with that, but I've been calling that for a while. Anyway, um, this movie went through, a few iterations before it became attached to the Cloverfield universe, and it was in a it was in a unique form, uh, independent of the Cloverfield universe. And then they decided to tie it in with that. And I, and I would have thought that that tie-in to that movie franchise would have made it a lesser movie, but I'm coming to realize that it actually it sort of makes it a bigger and better thing than it was. And it was a great thing. Even before that, Mary Elizabeth Winstead stars in it. Uh, she holds the movie together. She's, I mean, this is, I think, her best role that I've seen her in, although she had a great little scene in, in the end of uh, the Farting Corpse movie. I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, Swiss the, Army Man. Yeah, Swiss Army Man. But John Goodman tears it up, and uh, he's more deserving of an Oscar nomination, I think, for this movie than Michael Shannon, who, who uh, got it for, uh, he brought. I think he got it for Nocturnal Animals. Mm -hmm. He brought that movie, Not Michael Shannon might have brought that movie from a three to a four or from a four to a five, but John Goodman makes this movie uh, a solid eight, I think, for me. But it's here on my list at number 10. 10 Cloverfield Lane. Is Am I right? Is this on your list anywhere? It just came outside the top 10. All right, I wanted John to be Goodman's cute. John Goodman's arguably my favorite actor and before the show Lasky and I were talking about people who've been robbed of never getting an Oscar I think John Goodman is the most deserving person who has never gotten an Oscar right. um, he constantly steals scenes that he's in so so he's the new Leonardo DiCaprio no I said steal scenes <laughs> no I mean in terms of being deserving oh, of an deser Oscar never, never having won it 
Yeah. yeah. I, I hope here soon the Coens do a movie where he gets to be the star. Oh. And not just a supporting right. character. More on that later. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, my number nine, then, I guess we're up to. Yeah. My, yeah. <laughs> my number nine is Cafe Society. Wow. <laughs> what a shocker. Holy crap. <laughs> All right. You okay I'm, no, there? I'm fine. I haven't you seen it. See I this just, one coming? I did not see this one coming, but that's fine. I have Is this be- Woody Allen? Yeah. I've become a big Woody Allen fan. <laughs> oh, wow. We No one can see your eye rolls. <laughs> you, you realize Yeah, that. I'm sorry. I'm not. I loved Husbands and Wives, but that's probably the only Woody Allen movie. Was that, that like 1980? Yeah, it's an old one. <laughs> 80s, more like 87, 88. Okay. Midnight in uh, Paris. When he hit his peak. Uh, Moonlight, or he's done a couple recently. But I've just <laughs> I have no idea. Cafe Society. It's set in the 1930s. A uh, young New York kid goes out to Hollywood to seek his fame and fortune. Falls in love with a girl uh, played by Kristen Stewart. Uh, the young man's Jesse Eisenberg. Steve Carell's also in this film. It's just a, a wonderful little story. I saw it maybe a month after my number eight movie. Okay. So there's kind of a tie in there, but huh. I just, I love that time period. I love, I love old wow. Hollywood. Okay. And this movie just worked. I thought it was just a really nice tale. And awesome. there's just something about the stories Woody Allen is putting out in the last five years or so that I just find really appealing. All right. So later Woody Allen is that, that's your wheelhouse. Yeah, apparently. I, I mean, you got to admire guys in his 80s can put out a movie a year. I mean, that's insane. I mean, he writes them, directs them, puts them out. One movie a year. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean they're all worth seeing. <laughs> no, I'm not they saying they are, but they apparently they're in Bulls top 10. So come on now. Another eye roll for those of you who can't see <laughs> you my gotta give him credit. You gotta give, and Kristen Stewart, she's a talented actress. I don't doubt that. I actually, I've seen I've seen uh, her in a few things recently, and she's. I have yet to see her do anything that's worth. Camp seeing. X-ray was good. Uh, did you see his Netflix show? I haven't seen that yet. Okay, sorry. Right. Get back to us <laughs> after you've seen that. I, I want to see I don't if like he keeps Woody him Allen as an actor. If you can keep I mean, him no, out he's, of the movie, he doesn't act that. I don't think oh, he I acts in there. Movie. I don't. I don't know. I, I, right. I don't even know the title. He used to. Oh, he used to I'm be in s- all of his movies, and then gradually he shifted out of them. And yeah, and there was always an actor who kind of was playing the Woody Allen role because. And in this movie, it's uh, Jesse All of Eisenberg. All scripts yeah. include a Woody Allen character yeah. who he would have played if he still acted. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know about scenes. this Netflix show. I don't. I don't think he stars in that. I'm not talking about the show. I'm talking about his movies because I've seen many of his movies. Right. So Cafe Society. All right, Cafe Society. Excellent. All right. I, First shocker of the show. <sighs> wow, that would not. <laughs> All right. Well, you I, haven't seen it. I never. There's no way I could have had 150 guesses and I never would have gotten to that one. Oh, okay. Absolutely not. So, way to go, Will. You win. You win the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Wait, <laughs> we're only at number nine for one of us. How well, can he already win the podcast? I'm that good. Oh. Well, I got a shocker at number nine, too. All right. You want me to go? Sure. Why not? I'm, I am I know that Bull's going to be surprised by this, but this is the only movie that I saw on uh, either Netflix or Amazon Prime. I think it came out on both at the same time. That's on my top ten. And... I have railed against live-action remakes of Disney movies since <laughs> since the first iteration, since cru- since uh, 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> My number nine movie this year is The Jungle Book. Oh, oh! I thought you were going to say Peach Dragon. 
<laughs> was that Disney? I don't think Peace Dragon was a Disney movie. Yeah, yeah, it was. Was it? Yeah, it was the Dark Days of Disney. All right, all right. But, but well, the fair enough. Book. The Jungle Book. The Jungle Book. It's a 1967 movie by Walt Disney, an animated film. Uh, this movie was written or er, directed and written. I think he has a writing uh, credit for this by John Favreau of Chef fame, and uh, I think he did not Clerks. What was that movie? The Diner or Swingers? Swingers. Yeah, yeah, Swingers. Yeah. Uh, also has. Bill Murray in it, Ben Kingsley, Idris Elba, who should have gotten an acting nomination for his voice alone in this movie. Lupita Nyong'o and Scarlett Johansson. Christopher Walken is also in this movie. Ensemble cast. This is also dedicated to, and you might not have known, this was Gary Shandling's last movie. Rest in peace. He died of a heart attack right before the film's release. Uh, The Jungle Book for me was, this is probably the most, Entertain well, it's it's one of the two entertaining movies on my list. I just I really was enjoying watching it. I even like some of the musical elements of it, which I thought I would hate. I wished I had seen it in the movie theater because uh, it probably would have been higher on my list had I seen it in the movie theater. And I'm I'm really surprised because I I kind of hate <laughs> the idea of taking these Disney classics and and sort of gussing them up in a different way with CGI. I'm really put off by CGI in movies that where where it's where it doesn't cross over the uncanny valley. In this, it didn't bother me as much because it was lush and it looked real and all the and I mean it it, it didn't look exactly photorealistic, but it, and it didn't get to the point where it was a, was cloying and annoying. I think it was like eighty nine percent photorealistic. But it still had that sort of veneer of animation to it. I think that was also deliberate on their part. Possibly. I, I hope that that's... It's impressive because I believe most of that was filmed in front of a green screen. I don't think they I filmed think, on yeah. location anywhere. Yeah, the oh, only yeah. The, there's only little. the one actor uh, who's in it, the, the kid, who I didn't even mention, uh, Giancarlo Esposito. No, that's, that's not it. I, don't, I didn't even write down his name. No, that's ridiculous. All right, Ryan, Mowgli. you failed. You failed the podcast. Well, Bull already won it anyway. Neil Seti is Mowgli in this. Uh, and, again, surprise for you, Mr. Bull, I'm sure. No. You're not shocked? No, because you had mentioned about a month ago how much you liked the movie. Oh, I thought I didn't tell you. Yeah, you did. All right, fine. I'm actually glad you brought up the idea of actors winning awards for voiceover. I think with all the animation that goes on nowadays, it's time that they they should at least create a separate category of voice acting. I would be fine with that. Because I think there are many there are many actors who do exceptional work where all you hear is their voice. Well, now John Favreau is tied to not only is he going to do the Jungle Book two, but he's also supposed to be doing the live action version of the Lion King. Mm-hmm. Which how is that going to work? There are no human actors in the Lion King in the original movie. There are no human beings. Well, unless they go the Julie Tamer route, the way it was done on Broadway with puppets and people. And no, I think it's going to be the same technology that they CGI, used for Jungle yeah. Book. So it's CGI. That's not live that's not, action. Yeah, that's not live action. But it's, it's not trying to be animation. It's live motion capture. I mean, I guess. like if, if you want to say that makes it animation and not live action, then Captain America: Civil War is an animated film. 
No, Captain America: Civil War had had real actors doing real things in it. There might have been scenes and sequences that were all CGI. I think CGI. something like eighty five percent of the shots had some sort of CGI. Black Panther was completely animated. Uh, I mean, so the actor that played Black Panther wasn't they, the they, physical they, they actor that played. Changed the costume design after they had filmed his scenes, and so they had. But to- he was still in there. I mean, he was still moving through the camera. I mean, you saw him; he was being photographed. Right. Yeah, but then they didn't use any of that. Because what are they going to do when the? Wait a minute. So the the guy that was physically Black Panther in Civil War, when he's Black Panther, not his. When he's wearing the costume, that is all CGI. All right. Well, I, I mean, so what? I don't have a real problem with that. I'm talking about taking a completely CGI movie universe where they're not going to have an actor in a costume playing. Uh, you know. Do you think Gravity's an animated film? Yeah, we've talked about this. Yes. Okay. Uh, I mean, it I'd falls along those lines. Action. I would call that a live action. But film. Gravity has real See, actors I, in it. Lion, um, lion King's not going to have real actors in it unless they hire a panda some, or a lion from somewhere. Uh, there aren't real people. You could have you could have Andy Serkis playing Scar. I know, but it's still it's like it's not the same Apes. thing. All right, we're getting bogged down. Uh, okay. Sorry, man. Anyway, <laughs> Jungle Book number nine. <laughs> What about you, Mr. Lasky? What's My number, number nine is the first of five or more true stories on my list. Florence Foster Jenkins, the story of um, a woman who believed she could become a op- famous opera singer when it was clear to anyone who ever heard her sing that she did not have the voice for it. Um, again, uh, a great character study of a woman with oversized confidence and that confidence I said, becomes a tsunami that ensnares all who get too close. She's all, it's also a portrait of a fragile, damaged woman who bravely accepts her lot in life and chooses to chase her dreams instead of crumbling in defeat. Also, uh, a great exploration of their relationship, the marriage that she had with Hugh Grant's character. Um, the sacrifices, the lies and deceits that I think happen frequently in any relationship um, whether great or small. Um, and another film that expl- explores the effects of kindness. Um, not only her husband, but of course the other people who got involved in helping with her career, and especially Ariana Grande's character, um, who has a pretty big moment um, in her final scene where she kind of, I shouldn't, I'm probably spoiling things. I probably shouldn't be talking this much. Sorry, well, I'm not that big into the subgenre of British people who have trouble with their voice. The the audience. But she convinces the audience to to give the woman a break and not be rude. Yeah, you're not going to spoil anything for us. Well, I think they actually show it. Actually, I think they show it in the preview. I'm saying for the listeners. I'm surprised that Ariana Grande's in this. I didn't know that. Yeah, she plays an opera singer. No, no, no. She plays someone who attends. She plays the wife of one of the rich upper class society people who follow Florence Foster Jenkins, and she could care less. And at first, she doesn't even really notice or pay attention. But during the final big concert at Carnegie Hall or wherever it is, her character is the one that kind of stands up and admonishes the audience for being rude and disrespectful and mean. So it's kind of a small character you don't really notice until she has that big moment. And yeah, it's Ariana Grande. Not, wait, maybe I have the name of the actress wrong. Not the singer. She's a Broadway actress. Oh, okay. I think I have the name wrong. <laughs> is Ariana Grande the singer? Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> yeah. sorry, sorry. It's not Ariana Grande. I'd have to look it up. I'm sorry. I don't have my phone out. All right. That's um, fine. 
the actress is um she's done plays on Broadway and she's won a Tony Award. She is not the singer. She's your favorite part of that movie or do you... Well, I think she is one of the one of the keys to recognizing this theme that I have thread thread through my 10 top 10 which is the effects of kindness. Any movies the power on your of list? Kindness. Are there any movies on your list that don't star 70 and 80 year old women? <laughs> Yes. I'm just wondering. There are. <laughs> There's I a think. Theme. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. I have to. I haven't. I didn't focus on that. <laughs> but Nina Arianda. I got all mixed up with her last name becoming her first name. But that's a good poll, man. Nina Arianda. I knew there was Arianda. Yeah, because I don't think anybody else would know. <laughs> yeah, all. Nina. Well, I know her because she's a Broadway actress. She won the Tony Award, uh, I would say, about four or five years ago for playing um, the lead in Venus in Fur. I would have liked For uh, those of you who like trivia. Ariana Grande better. Yeah, I like no. it better when it's Ariana Grande. No, I would not because I don't have any respect for her and can't stand Ooh. her. And again, I have to comment on the acting, which I thought was superb. Um, even though Meryl Streep gets nominated every time she sneezes, you can't say she's not worthy of being nominated for playing this character. I thought it was Glenn Close. <laughs> and also Simon Helberg and Hugh Grant were also very good. Oh, yeah, so I like Simon my... Helberg from uh, Big Bang Theory. Yes, right. and he he actually did quite a bit of research and was um, apparently doing a pretty good uh, portrait of who this man really was. Apparently he really did have a very strange laugh and, and Simon, Simon Helberg actually um, has piano training in his background. He had to beef it up for the movie, but he did all his own piano playing, Sweet, which is impressive. All right. Number eight, uh, number eight. Uh, this movie was slightly better than Cafe Society, but still set in roughly the same time period. It's Hail Caesar. Ooh, all right. Uh, this movie is about a Hollywood fitzer played by Josh Brolin and basically follows him around for a day as he tries to uh, fits various problems that are going on. There's a Western star who they try and put in a Eng- English upper crust film that doesn't work out too well. There's an actor who gets kidnapped. Alden Ironreich, Iron- yeah. Iron- yeah. Yeah, there's a st- musical star who may be up to some shenanigans. There's a female who's pregnant. And Josh Brolin has to come in and fix all of these problems. If you like old Hollywood and you know what all the rumors were about old Hollywood, you know, like people that were supposedly communist or um, stars that were sleeping around, all those things are true in this movie. It takes all of those rumors in lies and makes them true in this world. So I don't know about all lies. What do you mean? All the, I mean, there were rumors, but some truth in those rumors, <laughs> a lot of those rumors, but I mean, it reimagines it. So, you know, all these movie sets, it feels like this could have been a real movie, uh, that they were filming, you know, during the course of this. Mm. So I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I want to go back and rewatch it. It, might have gone up on my list if I had re- had time to rewatch it. It's on Amazon Prime now, so you could do that. I could. So it's yeah. actually number four for me. It's our first crossover. Ooh, we've crossed the streams. Yeah. Uh, the thing that I don't—I'm going to jump on with you with this one, but uh, whether you like it or not. Oh, I love this movie. Yeah. Well, well, because I don't want to, to like belabor it. Although I will talk about it in our next. Yeah. Show, so I, yeah. when it's up there in number five, but the 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 thing about this is. All of the different performances they get from a variety of actors across the board. I mean, like you said, uh, George Clooney, Josh Brolin, uh, Rafe Fiennes, Scarlett Johansson, Francis McDormand. They're all in this. I mean, this has Channing Tatum 
which, you know, that was part of my argument earlier in the year about how he's our best entertainer <laughs> that we have going for him. Although Ryan Gosling might move up my list. He might have jumped over Channing Tatum, pun intended, in this uh, in that realm. So that's a good pick, Mr. Bull. And I'm sure you're... It's a little bit better than Cafe's. Might, wait, might be why know. they chose him for the remake good, of Splash. Good double feature. With Cafe Society? Cafe Society, <laughs> okay. Hail Caesar. All right. You, you got enough. all day tomorrow to make it happen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I right. won't be watching it, but uh might watch Hail Caesar again, though. Did you see Hail Caesar? I watched um, parts of it on the plane. I ended up fast-forwarding. It just didn't hold my attention. You fly and around I might on planes a lot. A, well, it was a long play. It was 13 right. hours. So it's a lot of time to kill. Trust me. Right. I watched... Three movies, I think, on the way there. and You watched Channing Tatum scene, didn't you? Yeah, I had to watch uh, the Channing good. Tatum scene. I'm a big Channing Tatum fan. I'm yeah. I'm on board with you there. I think Excellent. he is one of our best entertainers. I don't know if you've seen his, the the show that he, he's he been on it, but I think he might be a producer on it, or maybe I'm just making that up. But the show he did with his wife was the the episode he did. Uh, I'm sorry. Let me back up. Lip Sync Battle. Oh, yeah, I, I have seen that. <laughs> Tony watches it. It's a fun show. I yeah. haven't seen every episode, but there was one that he did with his wife. And he, I just, I take my hat off to him. He's yeah. amazing. He's willing to do anything. He's really, he's so talented. And it seems like he can do almost anything. So. Yeah. No, he's fine. So I did, yes, I did watch no. that scene because I'd seen in the preview. I knew that there was that moment somewhere in that movie that I wanted to see. But I couldn't. Get through. I think I need to give the movie another shot. Um, when I'm, I guess part of it was being on the plane, and I think maybe it was the third movie I tried to watch, and at that point I was kind of tired of watching movies or something. I don't know. No, fair enough. So, so what's your number eight then? My number eight is Sully, another true story um, that I really enjoyed, very well made, um, and I personally am somewhat obsessed with planes and air travel. Always have been, and old people. Yes, another movie about old people. Apparently. But it again, it's a true story um, about ordinary people um, who are in extraordinary circumstances and become heroes um, because of the circumstances, because really they're just doing their job. Um, but it also kind of explores how we, react, how we all react to crisis. Will you fight or flight? And you can't really know until you're in that situation. They kind of show, you know, the I think the full spectrum of how people react, um, as well as I think a great historical snapshot of post nine eleven America, um, all of the paranoia and that ensued from that, and then the resourcefulness that also kind of spilled forth when this particular incident occurred. Um, but I also noticed, and I kind of came back to it when I noticed it in other movies I have on my list. Um, Another theme, kind of a recurring theme, blind reliance on rules and regulations um, and overzealous judicial oversight. The fact that these men are almost put on trial and considered somewhat criminal for what they had done, despite the fact that any person with common sense would see that they had saved the lives of every single person on board. Um, so I think it really has a lot of different things to say, as well as, again, the importance of kindness. <laughs> but um, Clint Eastwood, I have mixed feelings about as a director, but I think I don't deny that he's a talented filmmaker, and this is a solid effort on his part. 
and he and the writers are able to create suspense where there really shouldn't be any, since we all know how it played out. Is he arguably the greatest movie star ever? Clint Eastwood? Yeah. I thought you were going to say I mean, Tom Hanks. Mo- most bankable. He's been making movies since the 60s. Well, are you talking about directing and directing starring? After, I mean, but since the 60s, filmmaker. Film. Yeah. Well, I don't he, know. He, he has mm, had top 10 yeah, hits. Is he better, to is he better than Woody Allen? I can't <laughs> agree with that wholeheartedly out of nowhere. Like, I need time to think about that. Yeah, I think he's one Maybe of Maybe I would choose someone else. I think he's one of our top five living directors. I don't think of him as a great actor, so... He, he's been one of the most bankable actors for 50 years. Well, there's a difference between bankable and great. Yeah, has he ever won an award? Tom Cruise is bankable. Yeah, I don't think he's great. I don't know. Oh, I disagree. Tom yeah. Cruise is very great. But, I mean, Tom Cruise's <laughs> career is half as long as Eastwood's. I think my feeling about Tom Cruise has been permanently tainted by the documentary I saw about Scientology. Scientology so I certainly have personal so, bias there. But I do have to acknowledge the script by... Todd Komarnicki, because I think he did a great job of, as I said, creating suspense where there shouldn't have been any. Yeah, they do that. Uh, they do that accident like five times, four or five times. There's suspense in every every one of them. Yeah, I, I was surprised that I was kind of gripping my hand rests as I watched, even though I knew exactly what happened. There was no, there shouldn't have been any suspense, but they found a way to do it. I thought that was impressive. This is actually number twenty one on my list. So it's up there. It's on my list later on. So. Oh, really? Yeah. There's another crossover. Yeah, we, streams have crossed once again. Well, I fear that, that we might be crossing streams once again with my pick, my number eight Uh-oh. pick. Oh, and just real quickly to pick up on the actress who deserve an Oscar and haven't won yet, Aaron Eckert, great actor who has been nominated, I think, but I don't think he's ever won. And he does a solid job in this movie, as, I as he, always. I saw this and Bleed for This within like a month of each other, and I thought he might have done a better job in Bleed for This. Well, I didn't see that. I thought he did good in this movie, too, but I agree with you. As always, I'm only going to talk about movies I've seen. So, um, But I was looking forward to seeing him in whatever movie, because I enjoy him as an actor. He's a good one. Sorry. That's all right. Number eight for me, which I feel might be on your oh. list, too. Is a uh, crossover. This came out in 2015, but we didn't see it till 2016. Green Room. This is Jeremy Saulnier's uh, neo-Nazi skinhead and punk band cro- or punk band movie. Uh, Anton Yelkin's. It's not his last movie because he's actually got three or four in the can. But Anton Yelkin starred in this from earlier in the year. Uh, Imogene Poots or Emojin Poots. I can't really. I don't know how to pronounce that woman's name. You've never bothered and, uh, to look it up. I, what now? You've never bothered to look it up. No, I, I've kind of looked it up. But I've heard different people pronounce it differently. Uh, it's also got, has a uh, Patrick Stewart in it. It focuses on a punk band who find themselves attacked by neo-Nazis in the Pacific Northwest. And there's a little bit of pocket drama in this. There's also some uh, weird, I'm, I'm surprised this is as high on my list as it is because there's some weird dog tension that goes on, but one of the dogs in the movie actually is one of the only two actors in the movie that has a legitimate arc. So <laughs> I've made the argument that this movie for me, <laughs> that the, uh, the star of the movie is Macon Blair, uh, as Gabe, the, the, the skinhead sort of manager. And it's, this for me is his movie. I wish he had been in more scenes. Uh, I understand why he's not there. I mean, I don't think the audience really, identifies much with him. And I'm not saying that I identify with a neo-Nazi skinhead, but he is another actor, the only other actor that has a legitimate arc <laughs> that that sort of modifies his position, potentially. 
I'm not going to spoil anything, but potentially he modifies his position throughout the uh, <laughs> throughout the movie. Uh, I don't know if this is on your list or not. It, it is. All right, so you then definitely made my list. I, I don't know if you want me to give out what spot I gave. No, I, we you can talk about it a little bit more later. But I thought it was interesting that this was created by Saulnier as a short film in a forty-eight hour film challenge. Uh, you know, they have those little weird 48 hour, 60 hour film challenges where you have to put together a whole movie in a limited amount of time. And, uh, he started this in, he, I, th- I think it had a supernatural element in it that I'm glad he left off. Uh, he wanted it to be more realistic. And I, I like the idea of its presenting characters in the situation where they have to respond to things that are beyond their ability to control or understand. So there's a lot of clear motivation for each of these actors and or each of the characters, and I appreciate that they do what I think real people would do. So looking forward to more stuff out of Jeremy Saulnier. I think his next movie is Hold the Dark. Oh, no color in the title this time. No color in the title. Ah, and in fact, there's even a reference to an absence of color. Ooh. <laughs> Hold the dark. Maybe it'll be black and white then. Uh, that brings us up to seven. Seven for me was Sully. All right. Uh, when the movie was announced that they were going to make it, I thought, is this a story that we really need to see? Um, you know, wasn't the news coverage enough? And I thought Clint Eastwood did a wonderful job of creating tension and showing you the same scenes of the, I, I don't want to call it a crash, a, a water landing, uh, that, yeah, I think it's actually st- doesn't Tom Hanks' character argue about that? They yeah. keep calling it a crash. He's like, it wasn't a crash. He calls it something similar, not a wonderlanding, but something. Yeah. He, he, he has some term for it. And it's amazing to see it each time because something new is brought to the forefront. It's not until the last time where you actually get to hear the conversation between the two pilots as they're trying to save this plane. And last year when The Martian came out, I was obsessed with astronauts and just the way that they stay calm under pressure. And in this movie, I felt when I was watching it that my heart rate was going faster than Sully's was in real life when he was on the plane doing all this. It is amazing how calm and level-headed some people are. Um, And I'm glad that those people are astronauts and pilots and that they're the ones in charge of keeping us safe. Um, so I, I really, I enjoyed the film. I don't know if it's one of those films that I need to go back and rewatch ever. I, I don't feel that pull. I do think it's a shame that Tom Hanks was not nominated for a uh, best actor. So it's a strong field in actors acting categories this year though. Yeah. Tom Hanks, he's gotten his. Yeah. But Meryl Streep, she always gets. All right. So it's not a bad argument. Like I, I think almost any year you wouldn't go wrong nominating Tom Hanks for whatever movie he's put out that year. Well, we had this conversation earlier about whether or not he can play an evil character, and you you think that that might be in his next movie, I The Circle. So. Yeah. So. That would be interesting and fun to watch, I think. It's, it's funny scene. you mentioned Tom Hanks. I just, believe it or not, this is going to sound crazy. I just rewatched The Money Pit last night, randomly flipping channels, and it was Good on. movie. No, it is a good movie. It is and a good movie. It's a strong movie. I was actually Splash. marveling at his performance and lamenting the fact that comedic actors don't always get the same kudos that dramatic actors do because his performance in that movie is a masterclass. It's 
phenomenal. It's really well, who is the next Tom Hanks? Who's the next Tom Hanks? Who's on the horizon that can take over that role? Ryan Reynolds. I was going to say Ryan Reynolds. He fits in there, but oh. I mean, I don't know if he's if he has enough range. We'll see. Channing Tatum. I was thinking. No, I'm sorry. I was thinking of another Ryan. Ryan Gosling. Yeah, maybe Ryan Gosling more than Reynolds. I think I Gosling has Ryan a lot of range. Gosling can do comedy like Tom Hanks can. Oh, oh, later on, well, hold see. on. Okay, <laughs> well, here never we mind. go. Sorry, I said anything. This is the funniest movie of the year. Number seven for me. Okay. The Nice Guys. Oh yeah, I didn't see it. Oh, American mystery comedy by uh, written and directed by Shane Black. Oh, actually, it was directed by Shane Black. It was written by Black along with Anthony. Bagarosi stars Russell Crowe, uh, Ryan Gosling, uh, Angori Rice, and Keith David. Keith David. I know you're a big fan of Keith big David. Big fan of Keith David. In his 300 yeah, is he the film. Actor? Yeah. I like Keith David too. I, Another movie I rewatched recently, An Officer and a Gentleman over Christmas. He has something like 375 he's, credits on he's IMDb. He's in everything. Him. He was the best friend who hangs himself. He's the black Samuel L. Jackson. Wait, the guy who hangs Wait, himself? David in... Keith. You Never might be mind. thinking of David Keith. I think I'm thinking of David thinking Keith. Of Keith David. Never mind. I clearly need to shut up. Sorry, I was thinking of David Keith. Well, I, I like him Keith too, David but is. Keith David is the black Samuel L. Jackson, as I just stated. He has like 385 Wait, film. Samuel L. Jackson is black, so what do you mean the black Samuel L. Jackson? Because I call someone the black Meryl Streep, and I understand that because the person is white. How is someone the it's a, black Samuel it's a joke. L. Jackson? Okay. It's, it's called a joke. He has arguably the greatest fight scene ever against Rowdy Rowdy Piper, and they live. Okay, I'm going to have to Google him because I don't know who you're talking about. Well, you can also Google Kim Basinger because well, she, she probably shows up in this too. Put on a movie at random. I don't need to Google <laughs> Kim Basinger. You can almost go to any of <laughs> There's a difference between not knowing who Keith David is and not knowing who Kim Basinger is. Well, Keith David's in like 75% more movies than Kim Basinger. It doesn't mean everyone knows who he is. He's great in this movie, though. He's been a movie, for God's sake. <laughs> Set in 1977, Los Angeles. Ryan Gosling is uh, Russell Crowe play private eyes who investigate the disappearance of a teenage girl. Uh, yeah, young teenage girl. Mm-hmm. I think she gets caught up into some weird business. Uh, I know, Mr. Bull, that this was one of your top five picks on our top five of the and year. It's so still far. up there. It's still up there? Oh, yeah. Do you want to jump on? You guys have already done a top five? Well, we did a top five halfway through the year. Uh, Oh, halfway through. There's something about Shane Black's style that just really appeals to me. Uh, If you like Nice Guys, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang was another great film. Uh, His early work with like Lethal Weapon I thought was fantastic. I am really excited about his newest film that I believe they start filming here in a month, Predator. Yeah. He's doing the remake of that. He starred in Predator. They're remaking it? Why do you sound so disheartened? I'm you, from not, the guy that's not a look of it. that's not a look of disheartened. Yeah. That's a look of confusion. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's going to be amazing. Well, Shane Black was in the original Predator as an actor. Oh yeah. Well, he was he was one of the guys in the uh, playing. You know, when they I ain't got no time to bleed. He's one of those guys. Not oh, that guy. Yeah, he's not. That's Jesse Ventura. That's Jesse the body Ventura. Yeah. <laughs> but no, he's. He's one of the young Marines that oh, okay. gets so, shot up, so um, he has pedigree. Yeah, Shane Black's hilarious. Yeah, the fact that Shane Black like, wrote it and directed it makes me more interested in the movie. I did not; I was not aware of that. I did not see it. Clearly the best 
comedic scene is Ryan Gosling in the bathroom with uh, Russell Crowe when they come in. Um, and it was almost ruined for me. The, the scene plays out longer than it was in the trailer, but a lot, of, a big part of that was in the trailer. And it's, it's probably, it's, it's up there with my scene of the year. So All right. that was number seven for me. And it's a little bit higher for you, apparently. Oh, yeah, yeah, much higher. All right. So I think we're on to number six then. I haven't done my number seven. You haven't done your number seven? Let me just skip right over you. (laughs) You don't even know who Keith David is. What are you talking about? I guess I'm I'm not allowed to talk since I don't know who Keith David is. I'm no longer relevant. (laughs) Kind of a movie podcast. I really hope that your next movie has Keith David in it. (laughs) Probably does. I haven't. Not yet. Well, since Keith David isn't 80 years old, it probably doesn't, but go ahead. My movie. Uh, number seven is Hidden Figures. I just recently saw another true story on my list. That could have um, Keith. <laughs> uh, his story that uh, history that I wasn't aware of, which shocks me since I've grown up in Pocosin, uh, which is literally a few miles away from NASA, um, and uh, certainly has a lot to say about racism as well as sexism. But I also this is where I recognized. Um, one of my recurring themes, the dangers of blindly following the rules, even when they defy common sense. And again, um, the beauty of the effects of kindness to others, um, how one person can make a difference. Um, and I think stories like this, movies like this are, are the antidote, are the cure to prejudice. The more we know, um, the, I think the more difficult it is to be, to continue being blind to what makes sense and what is right. And um, also a movie with great acting in it. This movie uh, has some personal connection to me too, because my mom just who died, passed away recently. uh, They planted a tree for her out at NASA. She worked for NASA for like 30 years. Yeah. So when we saw the trailer for this, my dad and I go to movies a lot. He was really interested and wanted to go see it. And I don't know if he ever got around to seeing it or not. I'm not, as interested in seeing it maybe because uh there's something about like that time like if they don't do that time period right if they don't do it correctly then it bothers me like if they if they gloss over it and it seems like there's a there was a disney feeling of that like a sort of well ryan and i chatted about it briefly it is it is somewhat predictable and um it is conventional filmmaking it's not it's not high art. Right. It's solid and well done, but it's not. It, it, time, it doesn't break any ground in filmmaking, certainly. It, it, at times, it gets a little clunky trying to do some of the science explanation stuff. There's a scene with uh, the guy who's Sheldon Cooper on Big Bang. Jim Parsons. Jim Parsons. And he's having to explain to a whole bunch of engineers how the science Gravity of this works. Work. Yeah. It, it, and, that, and I watched that and I went, oh. Wow, some people needed to go and watch Apollo 13 and see how they seamlessly talked a lot about the science and you know the engineering that needed to happen. But it's coming out for but that, the mass that's not, audiences. That's not a yeah. fault of Jim Parsons or well, it's you know, also the acting. Not it's necessarily just... that important to under to to this particular movie, <laughs> Apollo 13. That was more about the actual mission, the space travel and. I think it's a little more incidental. But these are movies here, about computers, right? Right, but it's about the people who were called computers. It's not really about the math that they were doing. I get it. Apparently, my mom has quite a few friends who've read the book who said they can't imagine how they turn into a movie. I think the book that this film was based on is much more 
detailed about the math. They say that there's. But of course, I heard someone writing so about far it. with the math for people who don't know anything about it. The okay. reason, apparently, the harder the math problem is, the bigger the chalkboard you need to solve it. Or glass. This movie teaches us. Well, again, like I said, <laughs> I understand what you mean about it seeming like a Disney movie. I mean, it is. Well, one of the it things does kind of have that feeling. One of the things I heard about, it, and it's a period piece in the 1960s. They don't. No one smokes. <laughs> when I heard that, it just kind of bothered me. I think that's because I don't think you're allowed they to didn't want a PG-13 PG exactly. Yeah. If you if you have smoking in your movie, so yeah. they have to excise that idea. Really? That, oh, that's too. Bad. And then there's also no use of of the N word. They actually, they don't use the word at all. Which I'm sure that they were probably using it in front of those people in the in the workplace. You know, probably in the 60s that that word got flown around. So anyway, the verisimilitude. That I thought wouldn't be there sort of put me off to gotcha. what the movie that might makes be. Sense. But no, I get you. I get you. Uh, I like. I, I'd probably have it right around twenty-five or so. All right. I mean, I liked it. So uh, that's your seven. So we're up to six. Number six. Six is a surprise for me. Uh, I recently showed this movie to my film class, and I really liked it a lot more than the first time I saw it. This is Midnight Special. Jeff Nichols. A uh, science fiction film about a father played by Michael Shannon trying to save his son. Also co-stars Joel Edgerton and Kirsten Dunst. Uh, back when I watched it in the spring, I liked the film. I didn't love it. Uh, in my film class, the sound system is on a metal cart. So if you have too much bass, it starts to get this wobble. It works with this the soundtrack of this film because the the music is supposed to make you feel... Uh, tension and apprehension. It's very much in the vein of 80s science fiction films, you know, stuff that came from Spielberg and like Ridley Scott. So I don't know. It just, everything worked. My class was amazed that this was a movie that had come out in the last year and they had heard nothing about it. And now they're all big Michael Shannon fans and they also like Joel Edgerton. Uh, there's some great cinematography in this film and, Arguably the best musical score. I kind of want to listen to the music one night when I'm just driving on the highway, coming back home. <laughs> All See, it, great music to drive by, yeah. With night vision goggles? Yeah, turn off the headlights, put on the night vision goggles, and start doing 100. No, I'm not going to do that. But <laughs> I should. Yeah, you will. I actually just recently saw this on HBO or something like that, and uh, I loved two-thirds of the movie. <laughs> Loved, absolutely yeah. loved. I was really let down by the end, and it kind of killed the whole thing for me. That so was, it would have been higher own. on my list had it really followed through with. It just had so much promise and potential, and then I just was so deflated by the end. That's how I felt the first, the second time through. I liked the ending a lot more. It worked. Once it went all Tomorrowland. Once it went all Tomorrowland on me, I, that's when I. That's well, that's why it that. dropped. Down. I can take those leaps. I like science fiction very much. It didn't make sense to me. I didn't understand. I just honestly, I'm just being honest, and maybe I'm an idiot, but I just didn't understand <laughs> when they got to that last part and Tomorrowland showed up. I was like, I don't even know what yeah. is happening. I don't know what they're talking about. I didn't get it. So. Well, it was right in the middle of my list for me, mm-hmm. below Elvis and Nixon, another Michael Shannon film, which you might want actually. To show. When I think about it, that one, The Arrival, and what is the other one? They were movies where the ending let me down. In a big, big way. Or right. 10 Cloverfield Lane, actually. All right. All three of those. I loved them until we got to the ending. And then I just... Wow. All right. 
nice so, tease for uh, the anyway. second half of our yeah, broadcast here coming up, especially yeah. talking about the endings and stuff. Uh, a lot of movies. Uh, I didn't you don't say like. what the endings were. I just said I didn't like them. Well, we're on to our last movie of this episode, number six for the uh, top ten list. What's your number six there? My number what six. What octogenarian shows up on this, <laughs> in this movie? For you, Mr. Lasky. <laughs> there are none. All right. Fair enough. Back, well, there are none that are leads. Okay. I'll say that. Mine, actually, for number six was Loving, Another True Story. Again, I did not recognize any of this until I'd already put my top ten together. Um, I knew of Loving versus Virginia, of course, but I didn't know any of the specifics, actually. Um, and it, I think, links up pretty well with Hidden Figures, another story that I didn't know a lot about that I think I should have known about and that more people should know about. And also a great portrait of a marriage between two ordinary people. Um, again, people who become heroes, but not because they're trying to be heroic, but simply just trying to do something rather pedestrian, have a relationship that is legal. Um, and I had to think about this just a little bit, the importance of kindness. I think this movie, I think does speak to the importance of kindness when it is missing, when it is absent, because I think obviously that's a big part of what is happening during this time period and during this story. Um, and I thought it was a solid piece of filmmaking from everyone involved, the director, the script, cinematography, and the two lead actors. So I think some of that did not get picked up by the mic, but that was my number six. Yeah, it's another strong Jeff Nichols film. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know the director necessarily. Oh, he, did he did Midnight Special. Midnight Special. Oh, did he? Oh, yeah. okay, yeah. This was his second film of the year. Uh, he's... He did a couple other movies that we've been real big Mud. on over the years. Mud, Take Shelter, Shotgun Stories, and generally... I think it, I saw Mud. I'm trying to remember. Matthew McConaughey. I think, yeah, I, I liked Mud. Yeah, I saw that. But it's very much ordinary people who are quietly dealing with the biggest struggle of their lives. Ordinary people doing boring things except on a... That have huge impacts. Well, it's about circumstance. For, for uh, society. It's about when they're doing them. Yeah. Actually, that was something else I noticed in these top ten movies for me is is ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances. Because Joel Edgerton just wants to be like, hey, man, I just want to you know, pack my lunch for me. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to make sure that I got bread on the table, <laughs> meat on the table for my kids, and just leave me the hell alone. Right, <laughs> right. So uh, is this, does this show up on your list? No, I know you were high on it. I, I really liked it. It's somewhere in top 20, I'd say. And again, I really like Joel Edgerton. Yeah, he's fantastic. So There was there were some good, really good things about it. One of the questions I had for him when we did the show was whether or not Michael Shannon's character, who plays a life, time life photographer. I, I, yeah, I actually listened to that podcast. I whether remember. or not. Well, do you think he's uh, exploiting them in the movie? The photographer? Because in real life, I think, I, think, I think it's exploited. I think all professional photographers have to be manipulative hmm. in some force, not necessarily with nefarious ends, but I think to be a good photographer, you have to be manipulative and maybe even somewhat exploitative. I think hmm. all the most famous photographers are, that would be my opinion. But again, I don't think he was doing it, you know, in a negative light. I think he wanted the world to see these people. Well, I like the, the small touch of that, that you could read it in several ways. And then I, I thought that it was a, 
a strong movie. I agree with your Well, I think maybe part of that, of and my this is again my opinion, my, part of that might come from the fact that it was Michael Shannon playing the character. Because I think, at least from my perspective, Michael Shannon, there's something about his personhood or his acting where there's always kind of this dark edge behind anything he's doing, even if he's playing a relatively good person. He's the white Steve Buscemi. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. No, seriously. I think another actor playing that photographer, I don't know that you'd maybe really get that. I think there's something about Michael Shannon that just feels a little, just a little twisted in there somewhere. <laughs> but I, I don't know if you guys feel that way or not. About yeah. Him. I mean, I, I like him. I really like yeah, him, he's him awesome. a lot. But I... <laughs> was your number six? Uh, I gave my number six. It was you Midnight did. Special. So did we both agree, Jeff Nichols. <laughs> Apparently films. I can't keep numbers correctly. So what, what is yours? Well, I changed it during the course of the show so I could end with it. Because we've already talked about it's Hail Caesar. Oh. Hail Caesar was originally number four on my list, but I shifted it to number six so that I can talk about it here. Okay. Uh, because the, one of the things I wanted to mention about it was I was surprised that it wasn't up for a SAG award for ensemble cast because of all of those different um, small acting things that they get out of it. One of the guys that but was awesome But it's also kind it. of a comedy? So what? Does that matter? I'm, no. I don't, I don't know. I mean, is that is that why your, your argument about why I'm it saying, didn't show up there? I mentioned this earlier about Tom Hanks and The Money Pit. I think comedic movies don't always get the same kind of awards recognition. Yeah. I think maybe that's why Hail Caesar didn't get the... I'm just guessing, because I agree, it's got a lot of really incredible actors, but I think the perception that it's kind of a... a a light comedy, the SAGs and the Oscars especially, they don't really seem to pay attention. If it's a comedy, it already immediately kind of gets blown off. It's not worthy of, which is arbitrary and ridiculous. I'm arguing with you. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I understand what you're saying. Um, it just, I, I don't know what the other nominees for Best Ensemble Cast are for SAG, SAG Award. I know the, the thing about this movie that I most enjoyed was the small parts that they get from are the small uh i don't know pieces like from jonah hill i thought jonah hill was great in it just the uh, uh the small you know his little his mannerisms the the character was well written as well uh i think francis mcdormand plays a film editor based on a real live person and she just comes off as uh, like insanely interesting, and and I wish each of those little characters could have had bigger parts, but it would have made for you know that would have had to take away from the Channing Tatum or the uh, uh, the George Clooney. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the SAG generally they're going more drama. The the funniest movie they got nominated this year is Hidden Figures. Okay, uh, other ones Fences, Captain Fantastic. Manchester by the Sea, Moonlight. Yeah, if you look historically over the Oscars, there have been a few comedies here and there, but it's they're pretty isolated. It's usually the more serious dramas that get nominated. Fair enough. This did get an, an Academy Award nomination for production design. Jeff uh, Goncor, who did True Grit, uh, won a nomination for True Grit. He is also a production designer for Moneyball and uh, recently Live by Night, the movie that we saw together he won uh, or he was the production designer on that he was also the production production designer on devil wears prada now the reason i wanted to talk about it here because i sort of teased it out was um the coen brothers next movie is actually going to be a tv show have you heard about this the ballad of buster scruggs Ooh. it's a six part or it has six continuous stories uh, it's a western starring john anthology Denver. series well 
the thing about it is the Coen brothers, who wouldn't want to star in a Coen brothers movie? If you contact an actor now and you're, Hey, it's Joel, Joel Cohen, you know, me and my brother, <laughs> Ethan, are, or he'd probably say my brother and I are writing a, a movie or a TV show. Uh, you want to be in it. What actor would say no? I don't think there's one actor out there that would say no. Same sort of thing you have with Star Wars movies. Like, oh, you're going to be in a new Star Wars movie. Would you say no? I mean, very few actors would deny the chance to work with those guys. The other thing about it is, they. I the last thing I read about it was there's going to be a six-part miniseries and a theatrical release movie. That there's a big movie that they wanted to do with it. So, this might be that new realm of uh, entertainment that we've been talking about. Oh, this, this is the promise that didn't uh, come out with uh, Dark, Dark Tower. Tower, yeah. We're supposed to be a movie, then a season for book right. two, and then another movie for book three. Well, we always talk about how we'd rather have these characters fleshed out in a in a you know HBO movie or or television series or something like that. Now we might get the chance for that. This is uh, Joe and Joel and Ethel Cohen's first foray into uh, writing and directing for a uh, television series. So that's why I put it here at number six. So that that's our list, guys. That's that's the uh, top five or top uh, ten through six. Ten through six. How would you say that? Top ten through six. Yeah, ten through six. <laughs> is that how is you would say the lower half of the top ten. The lower half of the top ten of uh, part part one of a two part episode of our top ten list. <laughs> so for Mister uh, Bull over there and it's been our. A pleasure. Our new, our, our joining co-host here, returning. Mr. Lasky, returning. You did join also. Yes, I did. But you said new, not new. Uh, new in 2017. Okay. <laughs> I'm uh, Richard Lusk. Pox at Bonham, everybody. There be dragons. Are you going to the movies this weekend? Let Laugh know what you saw. Send in your review by emailing the show at thelaughpodcast at gmail.com, tweeting at the Laugh Podcast, or messaging us on facebook.com backslash the Laugh Podcast. The best comments will get read on a future show. <laughs>